Story 1. Echoes in the Alaskan Woods The crispness of Alaska always felt eerily silent to me, stretching out its cold hands and wrapping you in its chilling embrace. I remember back in those days, when the job with the park services wasn't just about nature conservation, but sometimes uncovering dark and chilling secrets. One morning, the radio crackled with an urgent message about some thoughtless soul dumping garbage on our pristine trails. I was dispatched along with Daniel, an old-timer who knew every crevice of those woods. The trails were usually secluded, save for the lone jogger or two. As we made our way around a bend, Daniel abruptly stopped, eyes narrowing towards the woods. What in God's name? he whispered. About two dozen yards away was a man, his pale skin stark against the surrounding green. He was crouched, his long hair falling over his face, eyes locking onto ours from behind a bush. When he realized we'd spotted him, he got up, stretching lazily, trying to play it cool. But his body language said otherwise. There was a tension in the air. To my surprise, Daniel recognized him. Hey, isn't that the fellow who built my deck last summer? Turns out the man was a known local builder. He ambled over, offering a weak explanation about stepping off the trail for some privacy. Daniel seemed to buy it. However, something about his presence out there didn't sit right with me. After confirming he wasn't the one dumping trash, we continued on our trail and he joined us, making idle conversation. It was a couple of years later when Daniel called me, his voice shaky. The man, Benjamin Lynch, was all over the news. What was initially thought to be a simple robbery at a coffee shop turned out to be much more sinister. He hadn't just shot the girl. He had taken her, tortured her, and then killed her. Benjamin Lynch was no builder. He was a predator, a serial killer who had been roaming the country, leaving trails of bodies in his wake. He had a method, burying murder kits in undisclosed places. These macabre treasures contained whatever tools he'd need, guns, money, and other sinister tools of his trade. My blood ran cold. What if that day on that trail, he was near one of his buried secrets? Months later, I ventured back to that bend in the trail, a shovel in hand. The once familiar woods now felt oppressive. The trees seemed to lean in with silent judgment. But as I dug, the earth refused to reveal any secrets. Others theorized that perhaps we had unknowingly thwarted a potential attack. But as with many things concerning Lynch, who took his own life before standing trial, many questions remained. The winter after my grim discovery, the townsfolk became obsessed with the legend of Benjamin Lynch. Whispers filled every corner, especially in the local tavern where old men exchanged tales of having met the man or of strange occurrences in the woods. There was something terrifying yet captivating about knowing a monster had once walked among us. Every so often, amateur detectives and thrill-seekers would descend upon the trails, armed with metal detectors and cameras, hoping to unearth a grisly memento. Sometimes, they claimed they found something, an odd trinket, an old bullet casing, but nothing definitive. The woods, it seemed, had become a macabre tourist attraction. In the heart of this pandemonium, Mrs. Foster, the elderly librarian, confided in me a chilling tale. Many years ago, when she was but a young girl, she remembered playing near that very bend in the woods. She recalled finding a peculiar box, partly buried, containing items she could barely comprehend at that young age. She had hidden it again, too scared to mention it to anyone. 
With a shaky hand, she drew a crude map and handed it over to me, her eyes imploring me to put an end to the nightmare. Driven by a mix of dread and determination, I returned to the woods, this time guided by Mrs. Foster's memories. Hours felt like days as I searched, the sun casting long shadows that played tricks on my mind. As darkness encroached, my shovel finally hit something solid. There it was, a rusted box, its contents an eerie testament to Lynch's malevolent intent. Photographs of unknown faces, a blood-streaked knife, and a diary with chilling entries. The discovery sent shockwaves through the community. People struggled with the realization of how close they had come to pure evil. As for me, while I had unearthed a terrible secret, it also meant an end to the restless nights and the haunting questions. But the woods... They never felt the same again. They bore witness to a darkness, a silence that was now broken but would never be forgotten. Story 2. Forest Shadows. Human Sins. Amid the dense pines and whispering winds of Seattle, I spent my days as a park ranger. My boots frequented a particular trail, nestled adjacent to a college known for churning out spirited youths, some more wild than learned. This trail, with its verdant trees that rustled with hidden secrets, was a mere jaunt from the college campus. On weekends, it was animated with young bodies, seeking refuge from study and the weight of tomorrow. While some came to be one with nature, others came for less spiritual pursuits. Clandestine bottles hidden under jackets and raucous laughter that broke the forest's sacred silence. But these were harmless pursuits, and for the most part, the college brigade remained respectful, a nod here and there to acknowledge my presence. But the woods have a rhythm, a sacred cadence that only those attuned to it can hear. And Saturday mornings had their own silent lullaby. A hush, broken occasionally by the rare chirp or the footfalls of an elderly couple seeking peace. College kids? They never dared disturb the Saturday morning sanctity. Yet, on one fog-draped morning, an anomaly. A lone silhouette ahead, which unmistakably bore the hallmark of youth. How can one identify a college kid, you ask? They exude an aura of naivety, often wrapped in inappropriate attire, and more often than not, underestimating the trail's demands. This figure, presumably a girl, ambled ahead, each step heavy, unsure, as though she regretted her early morning venture. Or perhaps the remnants of last night's frivolity still coursed through her veins. Closing in on her, my heart caught an irregular beat. Her attire bore the brunt of what seemed like a frenzied fall. Stains and dirt clung to her like morbid badges of honor but it wasn't just the earth she was drenched in. Sweat had matted her hair. Her clothes stuck to her back with a tenacity that suggested exertion beyond a simple morning hike. As I reached a proximity where the fall of a needle would sound like a gong, I planned to make my presence known with a simple greeting. But when she turned at my voice, the very ground seemed to shift beneath me. Horror, raw and relentless, stared back at me. A gory wound sprawled above one of her eyes, rendering it a bloody mess. It was as though some beast, man or nature, had taken offense to her beauty and attempted to mar it beyond recognition. Yet, despite the sheer brutality of her injuries, her spirit remained unbroken. As she crumbled, the strength of her desperation evident, she rasped for the essence of life. Water. Without hesitation, I provided the lifeline she so desperately needed, even as my radio crackled to life summoning the aid she would soon require. But as I offered her life's most basic elixir, an overpowering scent, both familiar and morbid, 
made its way to my nostrils. An icy realization struck me. Her drenched state wasn't from sweat, nor was it from nature's rain. It was gasoline, the harbinger of intended fire. I pressed her, my voice laced with urgency, to explain, to share what hellish ordeal she'd endured. But words escaped her. Each gulp of water seemed like a desperate plea to wash away the trauma, her gaze distant and vacant, teetering on the precipice of shock. Yet, in her delirium, a chilling whisper. My friends. The weight of her statement loomed heavily. Was she alluding to other injured souls lurking in the shadowy underbelly of the forest? Or was it something darker, a betrayal she couldn't fathom? As my heart raced, fearing her life force might ebb away right there amidst the murmurs of the woods, Providence sent another ranger, his ATV bearing a stretcher. The frail girl's heart still tapped its rhythm, resilient amidst adversity, as the EMTs sped her toward salvation. The ensuing hours saw my team and I scouring the woodland maze. We unearthed a ghastly scene, remnants of a campfire suffocated by time, circled by empty bottles, the specters of a bacchanalian night. But it was the acrid stench of gasoline that painted the direst image. The trail of this tragedy only unveiled its horrifying breath days later. The girl's hushed words, my friends, took on an eerie resonance. She wasn't calling out for them in concern, but in disbelief. The perpetrators of this heinous act weren't strangers from the dark recesses of the woods. They were her very own companions. The tale was one of treachery and malevolence. Rather than a monstrous stranger, her own circle had drawn her into this secluded hell, bludgeoning her spirit and body, intent on ending her in flames. Fate intervened, a malfunctioning lighter, a hastily made torch, and her innate will to survive disrupted their vile plans. She concealed herself, the cloak of the woods offering her protection until the strength to escape flooded her veins. And the reason for such malevolence? A tangled web of affections where envy and spite intertwined, all amplified under alcohol's malevolent influence. The narrative that emerged was more bone-chilling than any wild tale. A group of youths conspiring to immolate one of their own, spurred by petty romantic rivalries. In a world teeming with natural predators, man's capacity for darkness outshadows them all. Animals hunt for sustenance, for survival, a circle of life where each cog has its role. But humans? Sometimes we become monsters simply to savor the thrill of destruction. As Justice's gears turned, news of the assailant's capture and subsequent trials spread like wildfire. My fellow rangers and I clung to every broadcast, each revelation deepening our horror. And in the hallowed halls of my memories, that fateful encounter with the young girl stands as a grim testament to the monstrosities humans are capable of, even in the midst of nature's sanctuary. Story 3. Sparin's Silent Slaughter. For as long as I can remember, but specifically for about four tumultuous years, I've been living the life of a park ranger under the watchful eye of the UK Heritage Council. The Trust a behemoth that's been preserving our nation's history and beauty for nearly a century and a third, stands as a testament to time itself. Its shadow covers everything, from the grandiose, decaying manners of the once great nobles to the untamed vastness of our national parks. Nestled in County Tyrone, Northern Ireland, where the whispers of my youth still echo, my role often took me to the haunting landscapes of the Sparren Mountains. Within these mountains, forests, parks, and secrets intertwine, many falling under the domain of the Trust Whisper Glen, Torlandale, and Bannock Point. 
just to name a few shadows among many. Though these places are spread across a mere 50-mile radius, they're all guarded by my team, a mix of hardened rangers and fresh eyes. Thanks to my deep roots in this land, my connection with the terrains of Sparin became something of legend among my team. It was my intricate understanding of every nook and cranny that made me the de facto point of reference whenever the earth whispered secrets, or when paths seemed lost. So it wasn't entirely surprising when, on a mist-laden morning, my phone erupted with the panicked voice of a fellow ranger. She recounted the tale of a petrified camper who'd woken up to an unsettling sight at dawn, dead sheep lying eerily close to his tent. The phrase she used, a couple, seemed too benign, especially when paired with the palpable dread in her voice. Given that the wilderness plays strange tricks and often brings unforeseen casualties, I initially brushed it off. However, it wasn't the lifeless sheep that puzzled me, but rather the sheer terror in the camper's voice. Why would he be so horrified by a scene, morbid though it may be, that he'd abandon his camp entirely? The intrigue grew, gnawing at me, feeding on my curiosity. With only vague clues, mentions of fields, sounds, and perhaps the distant howl of a wolf, I set off, tracing the camper's frenzied footsteps. All the while, my colleague, with the trembling camper by her side, fed me more of his fragmented memories. The camper's voice, tinged with fear, painted a picture of a hasty escape, a mad dash through the wilderness, slowing only when the perceived danger was leagues behind. He spoke of passing homes, their windows like lifeless eyes, watching his desperate flight until he found a haven at our Sparren Country Park office. Why didn't you reach out from your campsite? I queried my voice a mix of concern and doubt. I was paralyzed with terror, he replied, the echo of that fear clear in his voice. As I continued my search, connecting with him over the phone, a chilling thought washed over me. Just what horror, in the quiet embrace of the wilderness, could render a grown man so utterly petrified? Though not a youngling fresh out of school, the man my colleague spoke of was well into his middle years, hard-worn by life, and his voice had the rugged timber of experience. It made me wonder, what could have spooked such a man, no stranger to the cruel games nature often plays? Joan, I urged, ask him, how many sheep did he see? A chilling pause lingered between us before she replied, he, he can't be certain. The man's quivering voice broke through the silence. It's utter chaos there. If you're going up, take something, something protective, maybe a gun, I overheard this, a ripple of incredulity coursing through me. You see, in our part of the world, rangers don't wear a gun like a part of their uniform. We don't have the wild creatures that might necessitate firearms. Such a suggestion, from this gruff-voiced man, added layers of mystery I hadn't quite anticipated. Seeing the need to face the enigma head-on, I took the initiative, connecting with him directly. Gently pressing him, I asked for any landmark, any distinctive feature near his campsite. For a moment, the man's voice was a cascade of uncertain murmurs, until he spoke of a C-shaped body of water. That instantly painted a picture in my mind, the Spelga Dam. Given its proximity to where he'd pitched his tent, I could hone in on a probable location. Having charted a rough mental map, with the intuition of someone well-versed with the land's whispers, I drove towards two likely camping spots near the dam. The first seemed undisturbed, but the second? 
my eyes were drawn to a tent, a beacon of red amidst the emerald foliage. But as I ventured closer, what lay around that tent sent chills racing down my spine. The landscape was marred with an abstract painting of chaos. Wool, blood-soaked patches of earth, scattered bones, and an overwhelming scent of death filled the air. The sheer gruesomeness of the scene was beyond any natural predator's doing. My years as a ranger had seen many things, but nothing quite this macabre. I found myself counting skull fragments to gauge the number of sheep, tallying up to four four savagely dismembered creatures. A cold shiver ran down my spine. The morning's grisly find suddenly made the camper's terror entirely relatable. Quickly contacting another ranger, I impressed upon them the need to seal off the area. Yes, it might seem like a scene from a detective show, but when nature is defiled in such a brutal way, evidence is essential. I needed to know, needed to understand, what unseen terror had unfolded in the shroud of the night. Subsequently, I headed straight to Sparin Country House. The shaken camper, his face a paler shade of its former self, sat sipping tea in a porta cabin serving as the Heritage Council office. Joan, ever the gracious host, offered a cup as I prepared to delve deeper into the mystery. My questions, though inquisitive, were not to accuse, but to piece together the enigma of the night. I have to ask, I began, how did you sleep through it all? His eyes, deep wells of uncertainty, met mine. I'm not usually a deep sleeper, but it felt as though, as though someone placed those remains deliberately, almost as if sending a chilling, unspoken warning. I leaned forward, my gaze piercing into his, trying to find the root of this unsettling mystery. During your time here, did you cross anyone, perhaps unintentionally anger a local? But he was steadfast, claiming no particular animosity with anyone. While this information was more frustrating than helpful, I felt a pressing urge to move forward. The countryside whispered tales, and some led to more concrete trails than others. The case of the missing sheep was one such trail. So the next step was simple. Find the shepherd missing four sheep. Though there were speculations, like a pen break leading to an unfortunate encounter with a dog or maybe even a fox, I knew the heart of Sparin concealed secrets that even its locals found hard to fathom. Soon enough, we identified the farm mourning the loss of its four woolly residents. My feet crunched gravel as I drove towards it, the landscape slowly revealing a rustic picture of pastoral life. However, this tranquility was but a mask, hiding a creeping terror beneath. The farmer, a rugged soul with years of work etched onto his face, confirmed our suspicions. Four sheep had indeed disappeared over a fortnight. What made it even more intriguing was their vanishing act. One every few nights. With exasperation dripping from his words, he narrated how despite turning his property into a veritable fortress against such escapes, the sheep seemed to find a way out. Though no expert, I scrutinized his defenses. The farmer wasn't exaggerating. The conviction in his eyes told a story of its own, Someone was deliberately luring or taking his sheep. While a missing sheep here and there might be brushed off, the same locale witnessing a series of macabre discoveries painted a dark picture. Yet, clarity was elusive. An expert scrutinized the ghastly remains, but the grisly state they were in denied any solid conclusion. Was it man or beast responsible for this nightmarish tableau? That question loomed ominously, echoing in the vast expanse of Sparin. 
Upon learning the horrifying fate of his livestock, the farmer demanded action against the camper. But as heinous as the crime scene was, the grim truth of slaughtered sheep didn't make the top of the law enforcement's priority list. Without a lead on the camper's whereabouts, any action became a dim possibility. Animal cruelty? Maybe. But proof? None. The local media chalked it up to foxes or stray canines, but I knew better. Those who had witnessed the chilling scene would scoff at such pedestrian conclusions. The official instructions? Keep a lookout for large, perhaps escaped, predators. That veiled warning held an eerie undertone, yet it brought no tangible results. No mythical beast roamed the moors. No groundbreaking discoveries came to light. The incident transformed into whispers, a legend among the local lore. Among the myriad of encounters I had during my tenure with the Heritage Council, this episode remained an itch, one I couldn't quite reach. It wasn't what I knew that haunted me. It was the vast, abyssal unknown. The chilling enigma of the Sparren Mountains and their dead sheep still echoes in the quiet corners of my mind, awakening me from sleep with a cold grip of dread, even years after the event. Story 4. The Mountains That Remember in the sleepy, quaint country of Czechia, where I've worn the hat of a park ranger for most of my adult life, there lies a place that haunts my dreams. Krumlov, part of the Bohemian mountain range, might not seem as menacing as some of the soaring heights we have here. Like the ominous Kirkonos Mountains, where many have met their end due to weather and wildlife. But don't be fooled. Though Krumlov is a humble triangle-shaped elevation on the western front, there's darkness lurking within. Many know about the peculiar happenings at Krumlov, the inexplicable disappearances that span decades. Locals have come to joke about it, with the Krumlov disappearances becoming a sort of national meme, our very own Bermuda Triangle, if you will. Though these eerie incidents have woven themselves into the tapestry of urban legends, I've never quite managed to laugh them off. Perhaps because I've seen things, or perhaps because I know more about the wilderness than most. The sinister happenings here stretch back as far as I can remember. Take, for instance, the winter of 1929. On a cold November day, cloaked in white, Mr. D. Rimaldi, a man known to most but close to none, ventured out of his home. The only inkling of his plans came from an offhand comment to a neighbor about wanting a stroll. But as the snow blanketed the region, Mr. Rimaldi was nowhere to be seen. When spring arrived, revealing the secrets hidden by winter's embrace. There was no trace of him. Some whispered about loneliness taking its toll, speculating that he might have taken his own life. Yet how could a man disappear without a trace in the confined known paths of Krumlov? Jump a decade later, in 1939, and Robert Turner became the talk of the town. A laborer from the shoe factory in the quaint town of Parazonsky, nestled by the west of Krumlov, Robert was known for his rigorous routine. Six days of toil, and on Sundays, he'd journey to the countryside to be with his family. But on one fateful January day, he veered from this path. Instead of basking in the warmth of his family, he chose the icy embrace of Krumlov. Rumors swirled that he was drawn to the Black Castle, a dilapidated fortress once a sentinel against ancient Hungarian invaders. But why? Why would a man who cherished his rest decide to embark on a 50-kilometer trek on his day off, especially in the dead of winter? The town was abuzz with whispers and speculations. Robert, it seemed, had vanished. But as winter faded and the buds of spring began to bloom, 
Robert emerged, alive. But he was changed. Found in a distant field miles from Perezonsky, something hollowed out in his eyes. The Robert they knew was gone, replaced by a shell of the man. Whatever happened in those lost months, whatever he saw or felt, had marked him forever. And these, my friend, are just two of the countless enigmatic tales of Krumlov. I've kept records, lists, and logs, hoping to find a pattern, or perhaps a way to stop this malignancy. I share these tales in the hope that you might shed light on what's really happening here. Is Krumlov truly cursed, or is there something far more malevolent at play? Emerging from the other side of Krumlov, Robert's arrival was nothing short of a horror tale. He was a haunting spectacle. His once crisp and neat attire lay in tattered ruins, clinging desperately to his frail form. Reports varied. Some said burns marred his skin, while others whispered of deep gashes that seemed too precise to be accidents. The mystery deepened when he was whisked away to a nearby hospital. There, the doctors who tended to him noted his vacant stare and unresponsiveness. Though Robert regained consciousness, he was but a shade of his former self, claiming amnesia about his missing months. Something had so thoroughly shaken him to his core that he couldn't or wouldn't retrieve the memories. Sadly, Robert's story concluded within the cold walls of an institution for the mentally troubled. His eyes forever lost to whatever unspeakable terror he had witnessed. Now, rumors and theories floated through every home, pub, and gathering. Given the tumultuous climate of the time, with the dark clouds of World War II gathering, some surmised Robert had been mistaken for a spy. This theory somewhat explained the torture without execution, perhaps an attempt to extract information from an alleged enemy agent. Of course, whispers of more fantastical explanations, time rifts, alien abductions, otherworldly portals, also rippled through the community. Not my cup of tea, of course. I've always found natural wonders more bewildering than any fantasy. But the absence of solid answers allowed wild tales to take root. Then, 1966 graced Czechia with another enigmatic tale. Paul and Clara, a couple woven from the threads of ordinary life, ventured into Krumlov, their car abandoned near the forest's edge. Like others before them, the forest seemingly swallowed them whole. Their inexplicable disappearance stirred the nation. Papers plastered their faces everywhere, and search parties scoured every inch of the vastness that was Krumlov. A police officer, who had been part of the search, once drunkenly confessed to me. It was as if they parked, strolled into the woods, and simply evaporated into thin air. Such cases, while not everyday occurrences, were enough to send chills down one's spine. And yes, while many who wander into Krumlov re-emerge, usually a tad worse for wear, these specific stories defy any rational explanation. It torments me, this sense that the veil between the possible and the impossible is thinner here than anywhere else. Outsiders, perhaps even you, might dismiss these tales as mere folklore or exaggerations, largely due to our local tendency to downplay such events with a casual shrug. My hope, in sharing this with a broader audience, is to cast a wider net of curiosity. Somewhere out there, someone might hold a puzzle piece to this decades-old enigma. And perhaps, with enough eyes and minds on Krumlov's mysteries, the shadows of uncertainty may finally dissipate, unveiling the truth that's been lurking all along.